1: Hey, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And you know what we do on Fridays. We turn it over to Duff McKagan and the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I hope everybody's doing good. Uh, listen, I just saw on the news a truck carrying toupees crashed on the highway scattering its cargo. Police are combing the area. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Uh, that was funny. I like that one. Uh, thanks to Duff for always delivering the laughs and for helping us start the weekend right. Uh, but that's the last kind of funny thing we're going to hear right now. we has got a little serious right now And Talk is Jericho. I've got Winnipeg Free Press journalist Dave Baxter coming up to talk about a Canadian serial killer who didn't spend a day in jail for his first murder. Uh, I should also say this killer is a guy that I went to high school with and I used to hang out with. Uh, his name is Rob Chalk, and he used to... Uh, uh, yeah, we used to play uh, Gin Runny with him after school, sleepovers, watch movies, the other, that sort of thing. One day he didn't show up at Scott Shipman's house when we were about 15. We found out later that it was because he had broken into a stranger's home and killed him, stabbed uh, an older man dozens and dozens of times. Story is unbelievable, uh, but Rob didn't act alone in that case. He had another uh, guy I went to school with as well, Darren Morissette, Abby Duck. Uh, neither of them spent a day in jail for that crime. You're about to find out why. you also hear what happened to Rob after that and how he became a serial killer. And Dave shares some of the other true crime cases he's covered in Winnipeg, including the case of Vince Lee, not widely known outside of Canada, but you'll hear about that crime and why it's connected. Uh, before we get to Dave uh, Baxter talk about uh, Rob Chalk, once again, I never even really realized that uh, you know I went to, to high school with a serial killer because... Um, like I mentioned, I was watching a, a special where a psychiatrist said, if you kill three or more people, you are a serial killer. And I just never realized that I literally went to high school with a serial killer. And I'm not sure if I told this story today, but I remember when I was working at DJ's pizza, which was just at the end of grade nine, uh, which is at the end of our junior high school back then junior high school was seven to nine. And the high school was grade 10 to 12. Uh, a good friend of mine, Warren Rumpel came uh, and saw me when I was uh, on my break at DJ's, I think. And um, I'd known him just from being around. And he said, I don't have to worry about anybody in high school from from Sansom. That was the junior high school we went. And he went to the junior high school of Lincoln. And I said, yeah, the only guy you really have to worry about is Rob Chalk. He's a little bit, uh, he's a little bit of a wacko. And I also remember he used to hang himself as well uh, from the goalposts at school. Like the football goalposts, he would take a belt and hang himself uh, until he almost like choked. His face it was super red. Then he dropped down. Guy was just off his rocker. Um, like I said, I told all the stories about how he I used to say he sacrificed a cat to, to Satan. Lots of really interesting stories about this guy, uh, and the fact that I went to high school with him makes it even more uh, unique and more of a very very strange uh, story. So uh, here it is. I went to high school with a serial killer. His name is Rob Chalk, and we're gonna talk all about him, starting now. So I have been watching a lot of stuff on Netflix and Amazon, as we all have, during the lockdown the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. And I've always had an interest in, you know, serial killers and that sort of thing. So I was watching uh, a documentary about Richard Ramirez, and I was watching another documentary about serial killers, and I heard something that really struck a chord in my head, and that's if uh, they they consider you to be a serial killer if you've killed three or more people, and that's when I realized that holy shit, I grew up with a serial killer. Yep. So I went online and started uh, kind of googling, and I found a great article about this guy. His name is Rob Chalk, and we'll get into it, written by a freelance uh, journalist in Winnipeg named Dave Baxter. And through the wonders of Twitter, we were able to track each other down in about fifteen minutes. And here we are. So, Dave, um, first of all, I appreciate you doing this because, like I said, this is something that – this happened 35 years ago, and I kind of put it out of my head just how close the situation I was, but reading your article and kind of getting reacquainted with it, it's pretty chilling, the the kind of the circumstances and the stories behind these atrocities that Rob Chalk uh, committed. Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, if you consider what he did uh, when he murdered – John Haywood, 83 years old, stabbed him 17 times along with a, uh, a friend of his that had broken to his house just randomly, didn't even know the man. And uh, there's the whole thing about him being considered not criminally responsible. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. He uh, went to a mental institute instead of jail, got out, and he murdered two more people in 1999.
1: Right. So we'll go through all this stuff in detail. And once again, it's cool to talk to you because I'm a journalist as well uh, as Red River College, grad. Creecongrad, yeah, same. <laughs> you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good to see that uh, a couple alumni are actually using our powers for uh, for something positive. So, um, so so like I said, I grew up with with Rob Chalk, and I'll, I'll kind of tell you a little bit of background of my experiences, and I'm sure more will come out as we're talking. But I also know uh, Darren Morissette as well. So. I grew up in Winnipeg and I went to a high school called Westwood Collegiate. And I went to a junior high school called Sansom. And that's where I really kind of, I guess you'd say hung out with Rob Chalk. And oh, you with him? okay. Dude, I literally I, wait till I tell you these stories, man, this is, this is something I can't believe. I never thought about this before about doing an episode of talk as Jericho about this. So he was the same age as me in the same grade. Cause I think, uh, He was 15 when, when he committed his his first murder, September 3rd, 1985. And the reason why I know that is a, I just looked it up in the archives, but we used to play gin rummy at my friend, Scott Shipham's house after school. I don't know if it was once a week or whenever the guys get around or whatever. And it was a few of the cats and Rob would come and play sometimes. And we were playing after school, and we were waiting for him to show up. And I vividly remember we were listening to the, to Black Sabbath, "Mob Rules." Yeah. And we were waiting for Chalk. Where the fuck is Chalk? Where the f- And somebody said they saw Chalk, and, and and Darren Moore said who we used to call Abdul. Yeah. Or, or the nickname was Abby or Abby Duck. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he was called Abby Duck, but it was where, where someone just saw Chalk. And Abby Duck, they said they're going to the bus depot to, to go to Calgary. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? These guys are 15 year olds. I think, I think Morris said so was 16. And that was the day we're like, what, what? What? Why are they? So they're not coming. So we play. And of course, the next day, we find out what they had done. Okay. So that was, yeah. So, and I have more stories to tell, but let's go into exactly what happened on September 3rd. 1985 as far as the research that you that you have done dave I,
2: I don't know the reason why they chose the house they did but it sounds like the two uh the two boys robert and Morriset, was 16 and they were yeah. friends and they decided to break into a home in the saint james area of winnipeg and living in that ho- house was a elderly man i believe his name was john george um, george haywood george Haywood. sorry and um what they did is they absolutely bludgeoned this man to death. They stabbed him 17 times, left him for dead, and then they just left. And in terms of why they broke into that house or what they did right after, I don't know because there's not a lot of info. But the next thing you know, a day later, they, they just turned themselves in.
1: And like you said, they, they – because over the years, like if you would have asked me before I read your article, oh, yeah, they stabbed him 85 times. Like that was kind of the rumor in high school – you know, it was fifty times, but still seventeen times. Eighty-three year old man, and I—I be, I believe I might be kind of riffing here, but there was something where they tied him with a garden hose or something along those lines, or maybe that's just another rumor. But either way,
2: a lot of the a lot of this story over the years has got some, I guess, urban myth to it. Sure, it becomes eighty-five times and this and that. So I really don't know about the garden hose. The only thing I know is that there was seventeen stab wounds to uh,
1: to the victim. Okay. So here's some more background about, about Rob. He was a really strange cat, but you could still get along with him. Like I, we all hung out with him, right? And we grew up in Westwood was not a ghetto, you know, a, a, a middle class, normal suburb. So he, I'll tell you some pivotal stories about him. One, uh, he was obsessed with Ozzy and Black Sabbath okay. uh, and Iron Maiden, which everyone else was as well. There's a song by Iron Maiden called Sun and Steel that said, You killed your first man at 13, killer instinct, Animal Supreme. And I remember him always singing that, going, You killed your first man at 13. And he'd be like, Yeah, that's that's me, man. That's a great lyric or whatever. Yeah. And he was also obsessed with the uh, Master of Reality, which is a Black Sabbath tune, right? So he would brag that he sacrificed cats. To Satan, or to, it might have even been to Ozzy. Like, remember, Ozzy was kind of the Black the, Knight or the Demon. Or- yeah, he was kind of the poster child for evil back in that time frame, right? So there was that behind him, and then another time, I remember I, I had him over at my house for a sleepover for my birthday. I remember we rented a bunch of horror movies. I, th- I think uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part, whatever, was one of them, and that sort of thing. And we all had sleeping bags on the basement floor at my house. And I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, and he was staring at me, like just like face like three or four inches away. And he's like, hey, loser. And I was like, "Like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, I'm just watching you. Ah, ha ha! He would talk like that, right? And I was like, this guy's calling me a loser at my own birthday. Like, why did I, like, you know, deep down inside, like, why did I invite this guy? You know, something's off with this guy. And he would always go up to kind of, like kind of chubby guys or fat people, and he would poke you and go, do your belly, you loser. I'm dope, not don't, don't, don't. don't. Like, like just weird shit like that. And then the last thing he did was he, he said he was going to shave his head if everyone paid him, you know, like took up a collection. Now this is 1985. Nobody shaved their head in 1985. Think about that. Even guys that, like, you watch, you look at like, hockey teams in 85, even guys that were going bald, They'd have a comb over like, like nobody shaved their head or a mullet, a mullet. Right. And this kid had like, he looked like KK Downing from Judas priest. He had blonde kind of hair and he, and dude, he's like, I'll shave my head. And are like, you're not going to shave your f- head. And he shows up at school with a shaved head. And everyone was like laughing yeah. and no one paid him any money. And he was just like, I remember he's just like, ah, so that just kind of shows you a little bit of, of, of what this guy was all about. Right. So to the point where, one last story. I remember I had a friend that went to a different junior high school and he asked me before we went to the same, you know, junior high schools combined to high school. Is there anybody that that I should be worried about? Like, you know, it's going to be a bully. I'm excited. I said, watch out for Rob chalk, man. He's, he's off his rocker. And that was about, you know, two or three weeks before September 3rd, which was the very beginning of the school year when, you know, he kills George Haywood. So, so you said they turned themselves in. Yeah. And again, I
2: don't know the reason why it, some of the facts I don't know, but uh, I don't know why they turned themselves in, but they completely just turned themselves in and admitted to the crime. I think it was a day later or a couple days later. I
1: think because I think they did go to Calgary because I remember they went on a bus, like just say, you know, between the two of us were piecing together. But I remember like they did leave and everyone was like, why did they go to Calgary? And then you Maybe they were to I guess they thought they're going to try and go on the lamb or something. Then probably. Yeah cooler heads prevailed. They didn't have any money. And, and and Morissette was kind of a little bit of a wacko too. and Not that Rob wasn't, but so then the whole, I, I don't know how much experience you have in, in crime, but what would the legal process be when you have a 15 year old kid who turns himself in and says, I murdered this guy?
2: Well, I think, you know, a 15 year old, usually they're charged as, as youth, but uh, typically if somebody does something like a murder like that, they're going to charge them as an adult i mean if it's something that vicious i mean they don't want to give him a few months in a youth center right they want to Mm -hmm. give him some serious time so right away he was they were charged as adults and uh, went to court so yeah that was there wasn't going to be any difference because he was 15 to how they charged him
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: Before I go back to Dave Baxter, I just want to say one of the things I, I don't think I ever really realized Before is just how we kind of swept the whole Rob Chalk incident under the rug. I mean, this was 1985 when that happened, and there was really no, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Therapy given, you know, uh, consultations or any type of that sort of thing from the school helping us deal with these issues and, and feelings that we had. It just kind of moved on. And I think that's the reason, you know, I never really talked about it. So. I'm sure if that happened in this day and age, you'd have a lot of, you know, therapy sessions within the school and, and, you know, maybe even having some experts come in to talk to the kids about what happened. But once again, this is a guy that has been inside my house and, and was, you know, at sleepovers that, that I went to and, and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, it was kind of traumatizing, I guess, but much as the way back in those days, you just kind of sweep it under the carpet and, and, uh, keep rolling with it. But, um, I'm glad we're getting a talk about it right now and we are going back to talk more about Rob Chalk uh, with Dave Baxter from the Winnipeg, Winnipeg Free Press right here on Talk is Jericho. So was it fairly quickly? Because I, I read an article last, I actually went a few, a few hours ago and, and bought a membership to a newspaper archive mm-hmm. uh, site and kind of read the stories. And the first story I found was from 1987. So I'm assuming that's finally when he was, you know, a court process takes a while when he was finally brought into the court. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was their kind of defense? And what were some of the things that they were saying? These two kids,
2: this is the craziest part of the whole thing is they pled insanity under criminal code section 16, which basically says, if you don't morally realize that you're doing something wrong, when you commit a crime, then you can't be charged. Now it gets really weird. The actual defense from the lawyer was that both boys thought they had superhuman powers mm. and were going to take over the world one day. And if they, they both believed that if they killed Haywood, those powers would be increased. And wow. they actually went to court with that defense.
1: Wow. So obviously their lawyer is letting them use this defense under the auspices that they're insane.
2: Yeah, they're insane and they don't know what they did was wrong. They didn't morally know that they were doing they, they knew they broke the law they said but they didn't know it was morally wrong
1: that's such a like such a cop out of a of a of a defense you know what i mean the fact that, that the judge would even allow them to use that with with a straight face i mean it seems obvious to me that there's just bullshit trying to get them out when i wrote the story and i wrote that paragraph i kind of started giggling like, about oh, that right, right? yeah and and did they both have the
2: exact same mental illness at the same time like how is it connected to two boys how were their brains thinking the exact same thing with this mental illness? Do you know what I mean? So I thought it was really strange. But
1: you know what's chilling, Dave? They it, 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 keep using the term in the paper. You keep saying these two boys. Yeah. 15 years old. I remember I was 15. I wasn't that. Uh, that's crazy. Dude, I mean, we couldn't believe it, you know? And and, and and Morissette, like, I remember he might have been in a different high school at the time, but I, I was in school with him Yeah, way in Sansom. I and I remember, I'm, stuff that you remember. Mrs. Booth was our English teacher and she liked him because maybe, maybe, you know, some kids, whatever. And, and she called him poo poo. And he'd go, hello, Mrs. Boo. Hello, poo, poo. Like yeah. this is poo poo, who then just stabbed some guy, you know, 17 times. He had big giant glasses. This is, we're talking about Morissette. Now it, like if Rob chalk looked like a rock star, yeah. Morissette looked like revenge of the nerds, like super tall and skinny, Big giant glasses. I think he might have been a Métis. Definitely had some some Canadian First Nation in him. Maybe he was full all the way, but you, but he just looked really kind of string bean nerdy. Okay. Yeah. So like chalk. I've never seen pictures, so that's
2: interesting. So he looked. He didn't look like chalk did because chalk had the flow with the blonde hair. Yes,
1: chalk looked like you know, like I said, looked like a rock star kind of like you know as much as you would as a kid. He he was a good looking kid, shall we say?
2: Yeah, from you know. the pictures, it looked like yeah, he was a good looking boy.
1: Yeah, and, and then meanwhile, the, and the other cat was not. So yeah. you you see kind of the difference, and I don't know if one guy was maybe more in charge than the rest or whatever it may be, but these are just kind of nerdy kids, like I said. I'll, let's see if I can even pull up a picture of Rob for you. Just high school kids, right? Like you go to school yeah, and and, and everything. Like I said, we, we were waiting for him to show up. You see him right there. That's I'm just showing a picture of Rob right now. Just a normal, good-looking kid, blonde hair, whatever it may be. So when they use this defense, so so what is what is kind of the, the verdict on that from the judges and stuff? Uh, the original case,
2: they rejected that, and they found them guilty, and they were both sentenced to life in prison.
1: So then where, where did the twist come then?
2: They appealed, um, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And again, I'm kind of riffing too, but from what I what I researched is that the Supreme Court decided that they knew, the, I think I kind of already said this, they knew they were breaking the law. But morally they didn't know they were doing anything wrong therefore they weren't criminally responsible and that again that's under section 16 of uh, criminal code
1: which is so crazy because you know there's been a lot of talk about the Supreme Court in the states with all the the election all that stuff and it's hard it's hard to get a case in front of the Supreme Court but this freaking case yeah. went all the way, all and the I'm way sure to I'm sure the Supreme Court the, Supreme Court of Canada is just as hard as, to get into as the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah, and again, we're talking
2: about guys who said they had superhuman powers and we're going to rule the world and and uh, be more powerful if they killed this man. So it, it's really shocking it made it there.
1: It's almost like a Viking thing, like where, you, where the Viking would kill his uh, his his enemy and then eat his eat his heart, which yeah. would make him more powerful, right? Yeah, it's a similar similar idea. And
2: there's other cases been like that where people think they're they're gaining power if they uh if they kill someone or do something like that
1: well once again this goes back to the master of reality like i am the master of reality like that was rob rob's thing he would always say that but i pulled something up which is interesting because if you go to wikipedia there's actually an entry says r v chalk yeah that's the supreme court case that's the uh that's the case exactly yeah it's the leading decision of the supreme court on the interpretation and constitutionality of section 16 of the criminal code which provides for mental order defense. Two accused individuals challenged the section as a violation of their right to the presumption of innocence under section blah 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 blah. Yeah. So this is this they've actually created a whole new code charge, whatever it may be. And just to continue reading, the only defense raised was insanity after they stabbed and bludgeoned the guy, George. Expert evidence was given at trial that Chalk and Morissette suffered from paranoid psychosis, which made them believe they had the power to rule the world and that the killing was a necessary means to that end. This is what chills me, Dave. They believed they were above the ordinary law and thought they had the right to kill the victim because he was a loser. Hey, loser. And how many times did he call people losers, right? That's what I'm saying. Like He called me a loser at my own birthday party could have been you could have been anyone that knew that's what i'm saying that that that, that, like i can just hear him you're a loser yeah and then you find out he doesn't think losers deserve to live so yeah so the court oh my gosh and you could read through all this stuff but they're talking about the reasoning there's a presumption for criminal capacity yeah you know over the age of 14 the presumption of incapacity is rebuttable there's a bunch of legal eagle type stuff yeah. but the bottom line is is that it says a trial judge must instruct the trier of fact that appreciate the act was wrong means that because of the mental disorder the accused could not understand or comprehend society's moral condemnation of the conduct
2: and that's that's the one that blew my mind too they knew they were do they knew they were breaking the law they knew they were killing the guy but they didn't appreciate that they were breaking the law so there, so so off you go. Like it, it's it's like I said, it's bizarre. It's it's very bizarre. You couldn't make it up.
1: Well, yeah, and it's it just goes to show kind of the 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 the, the, the loopholes and legalities. And so, anyways, the bottom line is they don't get charged criminally. They are then sent to a, a mental institution. I, I believe Chalk went to. There's
2: a big mental institute in Selkirk, out just yeah. outside Winnipeg. And I believe he went there because that's where the high-profile cases go. Is because it's it's the biggest one in Manitoba. Um, yeah, so he went to a mental institute. But you know what? He only spent four months there, and they decided he was healthy enough mentally to uh, be on his way. So they let him go and pure like complete freedom. No, no probation, no checking. It's just you are fine now. You are healed. Because when it's a mental. Uh, Charge or not charged, but if if they say they have uh, mental illness, what happens is once they decide they're healed, they can go. That makes absolutely no sense when you think about it, though. Well, but, but, and then if you ask people, like I asked, I don't know if you read in my article. I talked to Chris Somerville. Yeah, he's the executive director of a mental health organization here in Manitoba, and he said, "Well, you got to remember, they weren't criminally charged, so they're not criminals, and once they're fine, once they're healthy, they can go." That was. Sort of the explanation that I got,
1: but wouldn't the, wouldn't the fact that after four months, you decide that you're not uh, mentally issued anymore? Wouldn't that tell you that the whole thing was bullshit to begin with? No, well, you know, maybe it was me and you or the others, but right, they're
2: going by the letter of what they have to do. They have to decide. I mean, they probably medicated him. I, I'm, I don't know for sure. They have to decide when he's healthy enough, and if he's healthy enough, like I said. That's when they decide uh, you don't need to be here anymore. You're not sick anymore in in their mind. And that's why they're uh, set free with no conditions or anything.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, So I remember this. I remember because at this point I was gone from Winnipeg. So I think that's about 1992 or so when he's back on the streets. I never saw him again, but I know some people did. And I was like, what's it like? You know, it's like, oh, he's pretty quiet. And and what do you say to the guy? You know? Oh, people saw him. Okay. Yeah, because he was living at home, I think. Like you said, he got out and was living at home. And I don't know anybody that ever went and partied with him or hung out with him, but I know that some of my friends saw him because he had a little brother named Mark who was, you know, a pretty cool cat overall, kind of obsessed with bodybuilding. He was always really big and you never really knew what to say about his brother, right? And I guess when his brother got out, some people did go see him. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. So as far as you know, did Rob Chalk just go live a normal life after he got out of the mental institution? Yeah, I
2: mean, if he he got after he got out, he just went. I, I don't know if he moved back home at first. I'm assuming he did. Obviously, he was still a teenager.
1: Right. I guess so, right? If, if he got out, so if he got out in so if ninety two, if he was out or not, ninety, he'd be twenty or twenty one, like basically just a kid, twenty one, twenty two years old, right? So
2: yeah. I don't know what happened over the period before he he murdered again. But what happened was. Eventually, he ended up in an apartment in Winnipeg. I don't know if he had a roommate, if he was with his parents, but he was in living in an apartment in Winnipeg and just living his life.
1: Yeah, apparently he he had a job a stocking shelves, um, like at a, yeah, at like, a su- yeah yeah
2: exactly. He just did a superstore. Being- yeah.
1: yeah, So he's he's back in society and kind of ingratiating himself back into the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then the next chapter takes place. If you want to explain that,
2: well, like I said, he's living in an apartment building. And he's got a set of neighbors, a couple that live in the same block. Uh, they have no idea about his past. They, they don't know what he did. And they're acquaintances, not really friends. You know, like if, you, if you know somebody in your apartment block, you probably say hi, stuff like that. And one night, he entered their apartment and stabbed them both to death with no warning whatsoever. Just went inside and bludgeoned them both to death.
1: Well, once again, kind of looking up this newspaper article from December 4th, 1999 by Gordon Sinclair Jr., kind of a Winnipeg uh, journalistic kind of legend, if you will. He had gone to the neighboring apartment because the loud music they were playing had been keeping him awake. By his own admission, Chalk was aggravated and drunk, but he said he took a peace offering, which is a bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. He told police he he also took a Joe Cocker tape Because if you can't beat him, join him. But he did beat him. When he turned himself in the next day, once again, turning himself in, uh, he told police it was the man and woman woman who attacked him. He had a cut on his wrist and a scratched face to prove it. He said the two of them attacked him with weapons after he put in his Joe Cocker tape, and then he knocked him down. Right? Wow. So then it says Chalk claimed he didn't remember anything after that. Uh, Well, police took 80 grisly photos to remind him the female victim's injuries, including a broken jaw and nasal bone, nine stab wounds, two to the face and seven to the chest and abdomen. One of the thrusts severed her small intestine. Another cut her aorta. She had a fractured sternum and all of her left side ribs and 10 more on the right side were broken check this out. The male victim's face was so disfigured police had to resort to dental charts, uh, which wasn't easy as it sounds because part of his jaw was missing.
2: Wow. And it shows you every time this guy committed a a murder, it's just grisly violent. I mean, some sort of
1: rage that he goes into or something. Exactly. And then the last part of it is the photos were so gruesome that 21 potential jurors were dismissed after looking at them because they felt they wouldn't be able to give Chalk a fair trial. So then, you know, uh, he he pleads to manslaughter. So once again, like you said, this guy is just completely, uh, when he goes for it, he's, he's, he's going, you know, completely yeah. over the edge, right? And that's like I said, I don't know. I'm not
2: in, in the guy's head, but it, it would seem to me that some sort of rage takes over if you're going to stab somebody that many times over so- and over and over again.
1: And and they were uh, just so we can say Mirzet Zek, I guess he was a, a Bulgarian. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a, a ref- refugee, I believe. Refugee. Yeah. And Deborah Leah Bolo were his neighbors that lived in the same downtown apartment as he did. So I guess when you hear this, your first instinct, at least for mine, is like, why the f was this guy out to begin with? Yeah. You know. So so when he does get let go, and you're saying he doesn't have to go in for weekly checkups monthly checkups any of those type of things you as free as i am or you are so i mean does that tie in i know there's another case that kind of kind of explained to us how that ties in with with the other other guy that you wrote about in that story
2: well in that story i discussed vince lee and i don't know if it's known so well in the united states but i mean everybody knows this in canada
1: explain it, x is not
2: yeah okay he got onto a Greyhound bus in rural Manitoba one night in 2008 around the town of la Prairie, Manitoba, and he sat down next to another uh, gentleman called Tim McLean, who was sleeping on the bus. And Tim McLean was coming home. He worked carnival work, and he was coming home from Edmonton because I think he worked in the carnival circuit or something. So everything, uh, Tim was apparently sleeping, and Vince pulled what could only be described as a Rambo knife all of a sudden out of his backpack. And while Tim was sleeping, he just started stabbing him in the neck over and over and over and over again. What happened was,
1: the bus driver was told stop, 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 and everybody ran out. Oh my gosh! Of the bus, but so the bus had people on it, like it was. no, uh, it was a,
2: it's like a it's like yeah. a bus that you would take if you want to take a two hour trip, like. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. If you're going from Winnipeg, to... Bus, but you're coming from another city. Yeah, Winnipeg to Morden or something. Yeah, yeah,
2: and, and it was coming from Alberta or whatever, so. Everybody got off the bus and they locked Lee in. But McLean was already dead because he'd been stabbed in the neck so many times. And there are people that still talk about how they remember the sound of the squealing man as he was being you know, oh, stabbed God. over and over again. Um, so they locked him in. And uh, what happened was, first of all, Vince Lee started to cut him open inside the bus when it was just the two of them in there while all the other people were on the outside and started eating parts of his body.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: And then he cut his head off and lifted it up and showed it to all the people that were outside the window of the bus, held his head up like something straight out of Vikings. Right. Um, And then the cop showed up and eventually it was, I think there was a big, like a standoff where he wouldn't leave. And eventually they got him out of there and inside the bus, was uh Tim McLean's body with his head, you know, not connected to it? So it, it was completely sensational here. I remember it was such a big deal, too.
1: No, I remember hearing that. I mean, it's it's so grisly. And once again, the fact that cops came there a standoff. I'm surprised they didn't shoot him through the window. Yeah, I mean, I mean, usually,
2: co- I mean, cops they want to arrest the guy rather than rather than kill him and put him on trial, I guess. But yeah, I can understand why. And plus, it. The guy has this big knife. I'm kind of surprised it didn't go farther than it did that way.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: All right, Dave, tell us how Vince Lee relates to what we're talking about uh, with Rob Chalk.
2: Oh, it relates very well because Vince Lee went to Selkirk Mental Institute, which we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and started working with this, uh, a group of were helping him with his uh oh sorry i should i should go back he went to court and immediately he was found not criminally responsible it didn't even go to trial how because he stated that he was in a state where voices were in his head and told him he had to do it or he was going to die it was something like that and then the voices told him okay well this guy's dead now you got to eat him so he started eating his body parts and the voices told him to cut his head off. So it's this—it's this higher power that they that they that they said The voices told him to do it. He thought he had to do it, or he was going to be in some sort of trouble. And that's what happened. Was I remember? I opened the newspaper, and they said there'll be no trial. He's and I thought, wow, that was quick. Like they just immediately looked at the uh, evidence and said, "NCR not criminally responsible" is what we're going to go for here because he—he uh,
1: he didn't know he was doing wrong. Just kind of reading a couple things on it. One of the witnesses said that he had complete calm demeanor, no rage or anything. He was like a robot stabbing the guy.
2: That's what they said. He was so calm. And that's what's so chilling about it. Cause he's stabbing this guy who's screaming and imagine getting a, imagine getting a knife in the neck while you're asleep and you don't even know something's coming.
1: Well, yeah, you wake up, wake up dead. Right.
2: And it was completely robotic from what I've heard. And he had no interest because like, it's, it's interesting. Everyone else on the bus left. He had no interest in anybody. He was like uber focused on this guy that he was killing rather than running around trying to kill people or anything else. So that's why they were all able to get off the bus.
1: So I guess because then he he changes his name. Um, yeah, he's Will Baker. Now. To Will Baker.
2: Yeah.
1: And once again, so continue the story. So once.
2: I, I jumped ahead, but yeah, he he gets sent to Selkirk. He starts working with Chris Somerville and a whole. Same guy that
1: talked about, about Rob earlier. He said. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah.
2: And they work with him and they put him on medication. And then what Chris told, because I have spoken to Chris before, he said once the meds kicked in, he was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. What did I do? What did I do? I can't believe I did that. And they say he was just extremely remorseful. And, again, I'm not saying if he was or he wasn't. I'm just saying this is what I've been told. Right. And he just couldn't believe in his own head that he had done that. They say he was in such a state when he did it. And when he came out of it and when he got properly medicated, he remembers doing it, I think, but he just couldn't believe that he had done that. So then I guess
1: the idea is, was it kind of the same same situation as with Rob? Where
2: Yeah. They, they spaced it out differently. Like what they did was they, they medicated him. Then they started giving him little freedoms. Like you can go for a walk in Selkirk or you can go to the library by yourself. First of all, he was he had to walk around with two guards. Then they let him walk around by himself. And then, as he apparently got better and better and better, they started warning people in the media, like, well, this guy's going to get out because a lot of people were not happy about that. Mm-hmm. And then one day the news came down that, uh, well, Will Baker now, and he changed his name because he doesn't want to be recognized anymore.
1: Right, you know, right, right.
2: That Will Baker is a, a free man. And then people started asking, like, well, is there, a, is there a checkup? Kind of like if someone's on probation, should he be calling someone at night or? Nope. Complete freedom. He can go wherever he wants and there's there's no strings or attached to him at all anymore. He's a free man.
1: So I'm assuming that probably causes an outrage amongst the public. You know what? It, it's both ways because anytime something like that
2: happens, you got the people that say, well, he was mentally incapacitated at the time and, and this is the right decision. So you've got a little bit of that, but you get that hardcore outrage too from a lot that say, how dare this man be out? I don't want him in my city. I don't think it's fair to the family of Tim McClain that knows what he did to their son. So yeah, the, the outrage was pretty significant.
1: I guess once again, it becomes kind of a moral issue. Like you said, if you are one of those families of, of, you know, like you mentioned Tim McClain or if you're George Haywood's grandkids, or if you're, you know, the other people that Rob killed, it seems so like, like you mentioned if I'm an alcoholic yeah. and I go through the program and I'm, you know, cured, you still have to go to meetings, you know, every week.
2: Yeah, alcoholics are never really cured. I mean, right. fall off the wagon after twenty five years if they.
1: Because once again, Rob went. I'm eighty five to ninety nine, fourteen years without killing anybody. Yeah. Held a job, so, and yeah. So here's Baker in two thousand eight. But I'm just reading some stuff that that Somerville said. Who who's the guy that you quoted in this story that talked both about Rob, and about Vince Lee and and you know the 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 quote of. Many in public can't believe that it's genuine. They think it's fake and it's a con artist acting out his con. But they're saying that that uh, that Somerville has spent countless hours with Baker during his recovery and said Baker lives every day with the goal of making certain that he never does to anyone what he did to McLean in 2008. He's reserved and he's cautious because he knows what he did. And he doesn't want to ever do anything like that again. So he's guided by that. He's guided each day by guilt and remorse. Mm-hmm. So you talked to, to Somerville for this article. Yeah. What kind of questions do you ask the guy? Like I mean obviously as a journalist we have to be unbiased, but Yeah. you have to cover both sides of the coin obviously. Well, you have to and I had to say like here's a guy that chopped a man's head off, held
2: it up in his hands and and ate parts of his body and now we're all just supposed to say okay, well, he's cured now. Like I I had to go there and I had to I like a had to sort of be fair about it but i said how do we how do we trust that this isn't going to happen again and i guess one of the things he told me was that as long as as long as will baker is on his meds he's fine so Mm -hmm. then i said well is there a way to keep track can you track that he's taking his meds and again no he's a free man so that's where the i guess the fear for me came in there like i mean it sounds like he's doing fine, but what happens if he stops taking his meds one day? Because we know he, he's got the capacity to do
1: some pretty gruesome stuff. And, and the precedent has been set dozens of times, but even the, the, the Somerville has seen that you can do it again. Because you even asked him, is there a guarantee that Rob Chalk would not kill again? You know, And and what was his answer?
2: No. <laughs> and what he said to me was, I remember he kind of said to me, like, he can't guarantee that that either of these guys would kill any more that he could guarantee that I would kill someone because once they're out of the system and they're on their own, he can't tell me that they're not going to kill someone. But basically what he said is they've given him, I guess, all the tools and everything to uh, not do it again, if that makes sense. Sure seems pretty forgiving, you know? I don't think, and you know, I think the legal system is more forgiving in Canada than down in the States. I don't see that happening in the States. I could be wrong.
1: I I agree with you a thousand percent. If somebody did that, I mean, that guy would be, you know, up for death row, life in prison, whatever. Death row or at least life in prison, depending on yep. if it was considered a first degree or whatever, yeah. and Because that's what that's what Rob Chalk has now. He has life in prison. He has life in
2: prison. So he would be in Stony Mountain in Manitoba. I believe. I'm not sure
1: about that. Yeah, yeah. And this, I would assume that's probably without parole, or is there still a chance for parole for a guy? I, I
2: think it's life in prison. There's no chance. Yeah.
1: Probably a double life sentence, I would imagine, right, for two yeah. people? Yeah, yeah exactly. Have you experienced other uh, cases like this in your research? Do you do a lot of true crime in, in, in Manitoba?
2: Yeah, well, I don't do it anymore. I was freelancing a whole series for the Winnipeg Free Press for about two years called Crime Files. And this one was interesting because I switched it up and, and did something on Robert Chalk and the, this uh, sort of Section 16. But most of what I did was cold cases because in Winnipeg, there's a lot of missing and murdered unsolved cases and and in Manitoba that uh, just haven't been talked about in a while. So I kind of dug all these up and I started searching for family members of people that were killed or missing, which is hard because you got to cold call them and say, hey, you want to talk to me about this horrible thing that happened here, you know? But as I started doing it, yeah, I started getting more and more stories. So I I have, I don't know, 20 or 25 crime file stories that are on file at the Winnipeg Free Press. Now, most of them are cold cases. This one was a little different.
1: Do some of them stand out as ones that seem more... uh... Well, you got
2: Thomas I don't know I, I did one on Thomas Sofano
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: All right, Dave, tell us about Thomas Sofano.
2: Thomas Sofano, and again, big big name in Canada, might not be a big deal. Um, yeah, don't, not familiar. Yeah, well, a woman that was working at a donut shop in the 80s in Winnipeg. Someone came in and, and murdered her. I think they stabbed her they tied her up with twine and then he just left and nobody else was in and this was right next to you would know St. Boniface Hospital Mm -hmm. there's a strip mall in front of uh, St. Boniface Hospital and then the guy ran off and he ran across the Norwood Bridge and apparently threw a bunch of twine that he had on him over the side of the bridge and ran off but was never caught but they had a sort of a, an image of what they thought he would look like. And then what happened was this man, Thomas Sofano, who was just in Winnipeg visiting families from Vancouver, he was arrested for the crime based on what he looked like and the fact that this twine that had been thrown over the Norwood Bridge originated from a factory in Vancouver. Hmm. And he got life in prison. And eventually they found out that he had nothing to do with it and he was released. He spent five years in, I think solitary
1: confinement
2: for the most part. And, uh, he did not do the murder.
1: And how did they finally figure out that he didn't do the murder? Um, you know what it went? Th- it was
2: really, really, one of the things was really botched police work. It hmm. was a lot of circumstantial evidence and the cops sort of doing everything they can to convict him. So some facts were kind of, uh, exaggerated or stuff like that. And they, they were able to come to this conclusion that, that he committed the murder.
1: That's unbelievable. That's kind of, I think everybody's uh, worst nightmare is to be accused of something that you didn't, uh, that you didn't do.
2: Well, it reminds me of that. What's that one in the States, the the Arkansas three or the, the boys? Yeah, yeah. The
1: Memphis three. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, imagine being 16 years old and getting life in a is you didn't even do it. it. It's a, it's a similar story, I think, because they really wanted to convict this guy. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing too. Yeah. They're looking for the conviction. So they will kind of lead you down that path. Yeah. And then I think the
2: judge, I think the judge in the, in the West Memphis three, or whatever it went on to politics. So part of it is trying to get your good,
1: grade. trying to get reelected. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's interesting cause I, I don't know if it's the same when, when, when I grew up in Winnipeg, it was known as the murder capital of Canada. Yeah. Does it
2: still, I don't think it's the murder capital now. I mean, it changes every year. But there's a lot of crime and, and there's some areas where, uh, you know, a lot of crime goes on and there's a lot of drug use, drug abuse, gangs, and uh, it all leads to quite a bit of violent crime in the city.
1: As we start to wind down here, tell us a couple more of the, of the cases that you, uh, you went through when you were doing these stories.
2: Well, I also have another case, um, geez, if I could just remember his name off the top of my head, but there was a man, and you might have heard of this one, who lived near Selkirk. And uh, apparently went outside, bludgeoned his wife to death with a hammer, drove her body to a parking lot and left it there. And <laughs> wow. And somehow made it home. They think he jumped on a bike and went home. Again, I'm sorry, I, the name's not coming off the top of my head, but he also was found innocent because they, there was nobody else near this woman. There was bloodstains in the garage. No one else knew what happened, but they just couldn't. Prove it, and now he, this man is now a instructor in university in Saskatchewan. So he's moved on with his life. He's a he's a instructor, and I, I do
1: apologize. The name I, I think I got is is it Mark Stob Stobby? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. The uh, the, the the genius of uh, Google. <laughs> so
2: Mark yeah, in mid interviews. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's all right. I'm I'm, a, I'm an expert. It. So so stub attacked his wife with a hatchet. In their backyard, then drove her body 15 kilometers kilometers away to make it look like she had been robbed.
2: Yeah, and he was was an overweight guy. Like, he was a pretty fat guy. And somebody saw someone on the side of the road that night, overweight, riding a bike in the direction of this house. So they believe he drove the car there, left her in it, and rode his bike home, but then wanted to make it look like someone else had broken in, killed her, and drove her there. That's the same. And, and again, I got to watch what I'm saying because he's, <laughs> he's innocent. Right. 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 Yeah. So, so the- I mean, he was never
1: convicted. He was, he was proven innocent. Uh, she had 16 chop wounds to the head. Yes. So, but they never found out who did that. No. And
2: you know, it's one of those things where I think the investigation might not be too hot because I think they know who did it. And again, I got to watch what I'm
1: saying. Gotcha. 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 Right. But, right.
2: uh, no, I mean, there's really no other evidence whatsoever of what happened. So, I mean, it kind of all lines up to say that he did this. And uh, he was a big, you know, he was uh, one of the main uh, supporters of, like, he, I think the Conservative Party or maybe yeah. the MVP. Yeah, he was. Uh, he worked.
1: For, he worked for Gary Dewar, which is. Yeah, the- sorry. Right. Yeah,
2: he worked for Gary Dewar and he was a consultant of
1: Gary Dewar. And- Gary Dewar was the Premier of Canada, which is like the governor. Or sorry, the Premier of Manitoba, which is like the governor of Manitoba. Yeah, exactly. When you talk about other serial killers in Canada, who do you think the most famous serial killer in Canadian history would be?
2: Oh, see, that's Bernardo. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, and sometimes names don't come to me. It would have to be Bernardo. Yeah, just because of the gruesomeness of the of the killing of the fact it was young uh, women.
1: Give a quick overview of, of Bernardo and what he did. It was Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Yeah, and
2: I, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm going to be riffing here because I don't exactly. I haven't researched that in a while. But they kidnapped young girls, 14, 50 year fifty-year-old girls, sexually abused them, raped them, tortured them, and killed them. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a quick murder. It was. It was. It was torture. Mm. They tortured these girls, and they did it together as a couple.
1: And they almost looked like. It's kind of a, a Ken and Barbie prom queen and prom king yeah, like, type of vibe.
2: Yeah, like the someone's profile picture you'd see on Facebook, kind of that uh, that nice-looking couple that's uh, got it all going for them. you know.
1: And how did they finally catch these people? Just the uh, evidence just piles up to where they get and killed? And again, I don't
2: want to say things that I don't know for sure because, I, again, I haven't researched that in a long right, time. Right, right. But uh, I don't think they admitted to it. I think somehow they might have got to his girlfriend and got her to admit it, but I, I don't exactly remember
1: you know, just going back, kind of, just back to what we talked about with Rob Chalk. Just to kind of put a button on things. Once again, this is not a kid who came from a broken home. No. I think maybe Morissette might have, but but Rob's parents. I mean, they they played. I remember the kids playing hockey when we were kids. It was tier one, two, three, and four, and I think he played tier four, which is kind of like the thanks for coming out level, where kids who just want to play but they're not yeah, just like. Uh- yeah they're just playing for fun yeah but he he played hockey i mean like i said this kid he wasn't a a very big and imposing guy i think he was about as big as i was at the time and i was not very big wasn't very tall but just had this kind of inner force to carry out these types of things which still blows me away to this day that you know we went to school with this guy
2: it's funny because when i write stories these people sort of become like cartoon characters to me where Robert chalk, the murderer. And I, I sometimes, yeah, yeah this is a guy that went to school and, and played hockey and he yeah.
1: slept over at your house. Yeah. He could come over for, for sleepovers and would play gin rummy and riding his bike. And, you know, it's one of those things. If I could go into my head and pull out the memories, I probably got 15 more memories of the guy, but just those things, I still remember him showing up to school bald and people going up and rubbing his, his head.
2: Yeah. Well, those are the things because, like, when something happens like that, you just those burned into your brain, right?
1: Yeah, and the fact that he had the capacity to do such a thing—not just once, but multiple times—it just blows me away. I guess there's just something
2: they let him. I, I wonder how the family. I've always wondered how that family feels. The fact that he could have been in jail if he had gone to jail the first time, most that couple would still be alive today.
1: Yeah, and how do the parents feel? You know, it's one of those things. Like, do you do you detach yourself from it? Do you feel responsible for it? Do you speak to him? Do you completely yeah. own him? You have to live with this every single day of people kind of going, "Oh, look, there he is." You know oh, what yeah. I mean? If people come over to visit.
2: I mean, do they ask about it? It's, it wouldn't. Yeah, be fun, it wouldn't be a fun life for the relatives after that.
1: Well, yeah, and I know for a fact, you know, with Chris Benoit, with the the, the tragedy that that he committed, and his his son and daughter still alive. You know, the, oh, there he is. There's Benoit's kid, and and it's just one of those things where I always think, you know it's not just your own actions. It's like you mentioned, leaving behind the people that have to deal with things that you did.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the other thing, even with the cold case stories I write. I mean, sometimes when these, these people go missing or get murdered, I got to talk to these people that don't have answers. And the most gruesome thing has happened to their family member. And they like live with it every second of every day. It, It almost overtakes their minds at time like this, wanting to find out who did it or thinking about it. It just, it can really cause some
1: damage. I'm sure it does. Right. So I would assume then that Darren Morris said is if he had the same trial that, that Rob did, that he's, he's out there. Like he never, yeah, he's, a, he's a free man. Yeah.
2: And I don't know where he is, what he's doing. I have no idea. I mean, you got one of them in jail and the other one is, is free. So.
1: And hopefully he's paid the proverbial debt to society and has gotten over it and, and, and realizes, you know,
2: well, it's been a long time, so I mean he hasn't done anything. You never know, but Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amazing, man. Like I said, I'm glad I got to talk to you about this because it's something that that uh I kind of forgot about until I started really thinking about it and it's like, "Oh my gosh, like this is something that's part of my history and I'll never forget that day." You know, where the fuck is chalk? He's not here. Some some someone go to the bus. And
2: bus it's team. not often I speak like I speak to victims' family, but it's not often I speak to someone who knew the killer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I grew up with this. You you taught me
2: some stuff, too. I I didn't know this. And it kind of humanizes him more, actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it makes you realize this was not just some guy, you know, in his house sharpening axes and waiting for the moment. It was just the normal teenage kid. And listen, we all knew guys that were obsessed with heavy metal or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever it was, but this is the one guy that, that took it to the next step. So
2: Yeah, and, you know, there's been other people that, didn't do crimes and they were convicted because they liked heavy metal like that West Memphis three.
1: So, that's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Damien Eccles was the one cat. Yeah. Part
2: of the reason they were convicted is because their love of yeah. metal blood and iron maiden and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. They, they were, they were uh, uh, profiled, you know, yeah, as goth, I guess, metal. Yeah. Goth. musically profiled. But well, as I said, Rob was that, I remember him wearing, we used to wear really tight jeans and you wear the three quarter length rock shirt with iron maiden on it or, Black Sabbath, like that's kind of what is know, That's well, that's all of our uniforms at the time. Yeah, but a lot but that, of like that then too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just that this kid was sacrificing cats and and shaving his head, and then you know pulling the ultimate. So, wow, Dave, great, great having you here, man. I appreciate that. hearing a little bit of Winnipeg's uh, atrocities, but uh, more importantly, the story of, of Rob Chalk, which, like I said, is very close to home for me. So I appreciate you uh, giving your insight today.
2: Man, I I cannot thank you enough. This has been great. I
1: really appreciate this opportunity. Cool, man. Well, next time I come to town, hopefully soon we'll get a chance to say hey in person. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care.